Uh, we are starting in a series called Shoe Leather Wisdom. It's out of the book of James. And somebody said, what's shoe leather wisdom? Steve, we don't get it. See you, senior high. Have fun. And uh, because I grew up on a farm, right? And so shoe leather, if you're on a farm, the best piece of equipment you can have is a good pair of boots, right? Because on a farm, you walk through everything in your boots, okay? Um, uh, manure and snow and hay and you name it. You walk through it, right? Mud, that kind of stuff. And so without a good pair of boots, you really can't do anything. And, and so shoe leather is just this idea of practical, useful, um, really important bedrock kind of stuff. And so shoe leather wisdom is just kind of the idea of what's just rubber meets the road kind of wisdom when it comes to the Christian faith. And James is that kind of book. And so we're going to look at that. Before we do that, I want to... Uh, show you a picture of a family. Uh, This is Mark and Holly Coles. About a year and a half ago, I got into a really good conversation with our next door neighbors over at North Creek Country Church around the corner. Paul is sitting out there. He actually, we couldn't find out how to get a hold of him. So I wrote a letter, gave it to Paul and said, Paul, would you duck out of church and walk over there and find out who we could talk to? Because we wanted to just say thank you for letting us use their parking lot during the step-by-step banquet. And uh, we had the darndest time trying to find who to talk to. Well, Paul walked over there, made a connect. And so I got into a conversation, been helping them. And they were looking, um, Jerry Back, who's the pastor there, uh, interim pastor, had been looking for someone that they could make a transition with. And so this is Mark and Holly. Mark and I were roommates years ago. Uh, Mark was the longtime worship leader at, at North Shore and uh, great friendship with him. And uh, Mark uh, was in between seasons in ministry. And so I called him up one day and I said, hey, Mark, how'd you like to get together, have lunch and talk about being a head pastor? Long pause. <laughs> yes, yes, no. <laughs> awesome. Let's get together. And uh, so I got together and told him about North Creek and, and all that kind of stuff. And it just kind of grew on him. And he interned over there this fall. And uh, so as of this month, he officially becomes the head pastor over at North Creek Country Church. So I want you to know that's their kids, uh, Peyton and, or McKenna, Jude and Peyton. And um, they are great friends and they'll be around if you see them. You'll be able to say, say hi to them. And uh, I want you to just know what's going on next door is a really good thing. All right. So that's that's kind of fun and fun to do. All right. So back to the message, shoe leather wisdom. Let's go back to last week and review what we covered last week since we just started the series. We started with verses two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, different layers, variegated, coming from different directions. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Some key points off of last week. We said, first of all, that uh, suffering is a part of the Christian life. That's what James is talking about here with these people. And uh, that's what uh, we talk about here at Northview. Uh, this book, remember, was uh, written to a group of people that had been ravaged. They had been persecuted. Their world had gone upside down. Uh, Saul, we met him last week, was not the only one 
But he was the main one who was responsible for the upheaval. So you've got a group of people that are knocked out of sync. They are uh, thrown off their orbit. Secondly, we talked about that we need to take up our cross. Jesus said in John 14:31, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus said he was modeling something for us. And what was that modeling? The modeling was to pick up the cross, to lean into suffering. Jesus picked up his cross because he loved the Father. James is encouraging these New Testament believers to pick up their cross because they love the Father. And we are to pick up our cross, read into that, our sufferings, because we love the Father. Not an easy thing to do all the time, but it's one that's commanded. When we pick up our cross, what are the trials uh, intent on doing? The trials produce steadfastness or perseverance. We call it stick to We'd call it uh, hanging in there. Another way you can look at it, don't quit. Don't stop. Right? And um, we are to lean on and trust Jesus in faith. And when we do that, that produces steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. He encourages us through the power of His Spirit to keep going, even when we feel like quitting. Uh, I've been doing some reading uh, again. I did a lot in the past, and I'm kind of refreshing on the Puritans. I don't know if you've ever read any of the Puritan writers. Uh, They were the people that came over and um, were both in England, and then some of them came across uh, here in America. But uh, their writings, uh, Baxter and a number of them, are pretty famous. And one of the things that's interesting about them is part of their discipleship process, part of their training was to... uh, Uh, was to uh, how to remain steadfast in the midst of trials. They just assumed that suffering was part of the gig. And so since you're going to go through it, here's how you respond when you go through it. And they actually had a component of training their people how to do that. They saw it as a normal part of the Christian life, and so did James. So we're in a good long history there together. The other point that James makes that's kind of counterintuitive for us, is we are to choose joy as we go through the trials. Right? Most of the time we do not think that way. When we go through trials or troubles or persecution, usually we want to stick our lip out, pout and whine. Right? Why me? Um, But Scripture says you have to have a bigger perspective. You have to have the eye of faith to see what God is doing through the trial, not just the trial itself. It says in Hebrews 12, too, that Jesus leaned into his trials because of the joy that was set before him. It's not that he wanted to go through what he had to go through, but he saw what was on the other side of it. And so often we only see the trial, not what the Lord is doing through that trial. And then, lastly, trials prepare us for the kingdom. They help us develop and mature in our character. We become like Jesus. We start to think like Jesus. We start to act like Jesus. And that prepares us for the kingdom. You know, we don't all know what the kingdom's going to be. Do you have questions that you wish God would answer? So does everybody, right? (laughs) 
And we know that eternity is going to be fabulous. We know it's going to be spectacular. We know it's going to be, the Bible says we can't even think or imagine what it's going to be like, which I find hard to believe because I can think and imagine a lot of things. All right? But it says we will stand there and go, whoa, never thought of that, right? And so uh, the, the idea, we know eternity is going to be spectacular, but Scripture seems to indicate we have to go through what it calls this veil of tears, life on this planet, so that we can be prepared for what that is. And so the issue is not whether we're going to go through suffering or not, but the issue is whether we learn the lessons well or not. Right? And so that's what we pulled from last week. You're going to find this pattern right here, these points are going to be repeated over and over again in the New Testament. Uh, Let me just give you one example. Paul would say the same thing this way. In Colossians 1, Paul has really long sentences, so I just grabbed the middle of a sentence, all right? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, and here's that little tagline again, with what? With joy. Notice how that's always included in there. Talking about the hardships, and they were going through difficult things, They're talking about endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What's the point trying to be made? The overall universal point is this. Jesus is greater than our sufferings. He's beyond our experience. He's be, he's, the sufferings are hard, but he can take us through them. Uh, this summer, uh, Pam and I, because you guys graciously sponsored us as ambassadors, we got to go visit a number of missionaries this summer uh, on sabbatical. And one of the couples we went and met was David and Katka Bordner. Many of us have know them. Uh, David's spoken here before, Kaka has sang, and uh, so we know them as a couple. And so we got a chance to go and visit them. And not long after we left there, so we left right in September, uh, I think it was about a week and a half later, David became very seriously ill, very seriously sick. Uh, we would call it uh, fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue sy- syndrome, uh, maybe mold allergies, who knows. But that scope of illness... Uh, and he became um, desperately ill to the point where not only could he not get out of the house, he couldn't get out of bed. And we're talking a young guy, a, a athletic guy. We're talking about a guy who's got three kids, two boys and a girl and a very active lifestyle. And it was everything he could do just to sit up in the bed. And, and David and I uh, have a conversation going. Uh, he's a kid out of my youth group from years ago, and, but he's a, a buddy and a friend now, and we just talk back and forth. I've been trying to encourage him, letting him know we're praying for him. And by the way, they deeply appreciate our prayers for them. And uh, he wrote this email back this week, and I think it fits really well with this. When he's talking about what he was going through, he said, Hey, Steve, thanks so much for the prayers. He says, the biggest faith thing I've been learning has been about intimacy with him, him being Jesus. He said, a few weeks back I had woken up and was feeling really crummy, and that's probably a very polite way of talking. He was probably 
excruciating pain. He says, I was laying in bed in a fetal position and I felt like God was speaking so clearly. I felt like he was saying that this whole ordeal has nothing to do with my health and everything to do with intimacy with him. That his greatest desire is to be close to me like he was close to his creation in Genesis 2. And that he's allowing some challenges to bring me closer. He said, my prayer is often to get healthy. It has switched to asking for greater intimacy with the Father. I hope that makes sense. I wrote back a one-word response, totally. He says, I'll be praying for your sermon. So this morning, we're going to look at steadfastness, but let's pray before we do. Lord, I think uh, David's illustration there is really powerful and probably enough this morning that we could just leave on that and take home with us a pretty powerful illustration. We're going to walk through some other verses in James and that highlight this even more. And I'm asking for your help to understand that you're a good, good dad. And yet these things are allowed so that we can become like your son. And there's mystery in there that we don't understand. Help us to understand this morning. We ask you for the wisdom you promised to give. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So we're looking at James 5-8. through 8. If you've got your Bibles, I'm in the ESV version. Uh, you can be in NIV. It's really close. It's a good translation as well. But we're going to talk about the challenge of steadfastness this morning. 5-8 through eight reads like this, But if any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. <clears throat> but he must ask in faith without any doubting for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord being a double-minded man unstable in all his ways. This morning we're going to get this far. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith. We'll get to the other half next week. All right? Now again, remember the context. James is writing to these people who have, have faced and are facing present current tense persecution and exile. Uh, much like the people in the world today who we call refugees. And I don't know if you follow the refugee situation or what's going on in the world with the refugees. Uh, I probably tend to track a little closer because I have friends who are involved uh, in the movement with them. Uh, for example, Tim and Rachel Utman, who came and spoke this fall and told us what was going on with the refugees in the world. And, uh, and so I tend to have access and read a little bit more about it. But if you're a refugee, you have, you have no place to go. They're totally displaced. Now what? And likewise, these brand new believers in James, uh, they were brand new believers in Jesus. They're facing the same kind of circumstances. It's a brand new situation for them. They've never been here before. They've never experienced this. And so this becomes street level. You know what I mean by street level or shoe leather? It's, okay, now what do we do kind of stuff. Where do we go from here? Where's the next meal coming from? 
Where do we sleep? What do you do when you hit a really big obstacle you've never faced before? The Bible's answer is that you pray. You ask God for wisdom. You'll find it over and over in the New Testament. James says it really clearly here. I made it a point of emphasis and uh, underlined the importance of prayer, especially the importance of husbands and wives praying together. Uh, Again, it is so important that you as a couple pray together, that you think through your circumstances for your family, your marriage, our church, our country, and uh, lift that up in prayer. And I'd like to put it out there again. If you're not praying together as a husband and wife, 2018 is a great year to pray together as a couple. If it's not been your habit or practice, make it one this year. It's a new year you can start, right? It may be one of the best things you could do for your marriage or your family or our church or our country. Anybody doubt that our country needs prayer right now? Well, if you aren't going to pray, who is? Why not start with you? Pray for our country. And while I'm speaking of prayer, let me address my single friends on this topic. All right? I know you're out there and uh, you're going, well, what about us? I'm not married. Well, singles, find other surrendered kingdom people that you can pray with and petition the Lord from your unique vantage point and position. You see things, experience things different than married couples do. You're aware of other things that married couples aren't. And so you can pray in a really unique in a really unique way. And singles, if you're struggling with the question of whether God can really use singles or not, or does he God even hear your prayers? Singles, does God hear singles? Maybe he only hears married couples prayers, right? Yes, thank you. I would like to remind you that Jesus was single. And so was Paul. And God kind of heard their prayers. So if he heard their prayers, he'll hear your prayers. So I want to encourage you to launch into prayer, just like we're encouraging married people. He will hear yours as well. So let's go back to the passage. Having said this stuff, the question is, what are we to pray for? And James is really clear that if you get caught in circumstances that are overwhelming and you don't know what to do, you are to go to God and ask him for wisdom. Here James parallels and mimics the wisdom literature, uh, especially in Proverbs. Let me get there. Okay. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Notice their knowledge and wisdom are kind of used interchangeably. Um, that a wise person has fear of the Lord. A fool will reject wisdom or instruction. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5, says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. I want to pause there just for a second. Have you ever noticed that uh, you may have had fantasies or daydreams of uh, treasure or gold or hidden thing, but you just don't walk down the sideline, down the sidewalk and find it. And that's because uh, 
I've gold panned and gold dredged in my, my career. And what I found is that gold's 19 times heavier than anything around it. So when it gets moving in water, guess what happens to it? It sinks to the bottom, all the way down. And all the other stuff's thrown on top of it. So you have to dig through all the other stuff to go down to find the gold that's at the bottom. Right? And Scripture's saying, search for wisdom that way. Search for wisdom as you would silver or hidden treasures. In other words, be willing to dig. Be willing to scrap a little bit. Be willing to put some effort into it. It's not just going to show up. You've got to go after it to find it. It says, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's a huge promise. Proverbs 3 is one we're very familiar with. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. By the way, has anybody noticed that older you get, that's not as easy to do as it used to be? Right? Didn't you have the picture that the longer you walked with the Lord, the easier it would get? And that trust would just become natural and you'd just be this old person, very godly kind of mosaic, like, oh, I trust God. Right? And you go, whoa, I, I've had to learn some things. I've, it's taken me a while to get a handle on this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding, okay? In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Great part of wisdom. It will be healing to your flesh, healing to your flesh, and refreshment to your bones. So James is reiterating this kind of Old Testament wisdom literature kind of uh, approach uh, when it comes to wisdom. But what he's saying, what he's trying to highlight is that all wisdom comes from God. You may have heard it this way. All truth is God's truth, right? So wisdom comes from God or is found in God. The wise person seeks out a wise God when they need wisdom. Proverbs 13.20 says that he who walks with the wise will be wise. Remember, that's an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song, right? Some of you can relate to that. In other words, a wise person, when you walk with a wise God, you become wise yourself. But there's a new added layer to the meaning of this idea of wisdom. In Proverbs 8, we didn't put it up here, but if you look at Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified. It comes across as a person. You can go and read that sometime. But this divine personification of wisdom in Hebrew was called chokma. You've got to get the in there, and I can't do that very well. Okay, Chokma. Um, I'm not Hebrew, okay? And I'm not even Jewish. And I don't have a beard and I don't have no hair. So I don't qualify. But that's what the word is. But this chokma would find its ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the idea of wisdom became the person of wisdom. Jesus became titled and known as the wisdom of God. Paul says it this way in Colossians 2. He carries this idea of Jesus' wisdom. He says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What's God's mystery? God's mystery is this, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, Scripture says Jesus is so exalted 
that everything that is known in the universe about wisdom and knowledge is contained within him. That's an amazing person. That's an amazing person. Try to wrap your head around that for a second. Um, We're familiar with this. We know Jesus uh, from the Greek word logos, right? Or Jesus as the word of God. Uh, John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus as the Word of God. We're, we're familiar with that. But the other title that Jesus became known by in the early church was uh, Hagia Sophia. And we go, what? Hagia Sophia. Let me show you what that is. Uh, in Greek, Hagia meant holy. All right? So holy. And then Sophia is the Greek word used for wisdom. So Jesus became God's holy wisdom. The person who God expressed his wisdom through. One of the reasons we're not familiar with this title, is, uh, we're more familiar with the title of Logos, or Jesus as the Word of God, is because uh, Hagia Sophia, the holy wisdom of God, became the main title for Jesus in the Eastern Church. Right? And uh, Logos became the main title for Jesus in the Western Church. So we, being of Western descent, tend to be more on the Logos side of it. But one of the early titles for Jesus uh, was Hagia Sophia. What's James trying to say here? Why is, why is all of that important? That's a rabbit trail, right? But I, I thought it was an important one. Why is that an important piece? Because to ask for wisdom is to ask for Jesus. When you go to God and you ask God for wisdom, you're asking Him for Jesus. And you understand that any answer you get is going to be located within the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so James is saying, ask for wisdom. Ask for Jesus. By the way, this will come back next week on the doubt side. It will be very interesting. If you ask God for wisdom, He will answer your prayer by giving you Jesus who is God's Hagia Sophia, God's divine wisdom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is not anything you are facing that Jesus cannot be your wisdom for you. So if we look at verse 5 again then, and we put this all together, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. James will underline an exclamation point uh, in several places, a couple coming up really quick here in the book of James, the goodness and the greatness of the heart of God. And he does so here. He's saying basically come to God because he's good. Come to God because he's generous. Come to God because He won't reproach you. Notice that word reproach in there. Um, We're very sensitive to reproach. Uh, Yesterday we had men's breakfast uh, uh, over at uh, Sean O'Donnell's and uh, the guy who spoke did a great job. And he was talking about reproach from fathers. 
and how quickly a father can shut down a son. He was talking about the time in his life where he died, he dove off the high dive, um, the big high, the platform dive, right? And he saw his dad, and he said on the way down, he looked right before he hit the water, and his dad was back to reading the paper. And he realized that wasn't that important to his dad. And he talked about the reproach he felt from that and how that just clobbered him as a kid. And many of us uh, in the audience quickly identified with the father wound and what he was talking about. This Greek word reproach, let's take a look at that for a second. Uh, It's odinitso, but it means this. It means to address someone in such a way as to express disapproval or disappointment. Uh, And dads, sometimes just know by not saying something, we've said something really loud, right? So we need to be cued to the Holy Spirit uh, to say something when we should. But especially this has to do with shame or disgrace. Why is this important? Because I think when we approach authority figures, and God is an authority figure, when we approach Him, we expect to be reproved. We expect reproach. And James is saying, no, come to Him because He's good. Now, here's the point. You don't have to do it perfectly. Uh, You don't have to have the perfect formula. You don't have to use the exact right words. You might be sitting there saying, well, my goodness, if I could pray like Pastor Steve, I'd approach God, but I can't pray like Pastor Steve, so I'm not going to approach God. Well, first of all, Pastor Steve isn't that good of a prayer. All right? He sure would like to be, but you're using him as a model. You're in deep weeds. All right? That's why we always say you should be praying for me because many of you are better prayers than I am. But our model should be Jesus, right? Watch how Jesus prayed. That's intelligence right there, okay? But here's the thing. What James is saying is you don't have to have a master's or a PhD in prayerology to be able to approach God. You can come as you. Hey, God, I'm in trouble. And I don't know how to talk to you very well. But I know I'm supposed to come. And I know... I've been told you're good. And I've told you you here. And can I just ask you a couple questions and if you could help me, I think then I'd owe you some loyalty because I know I should have come a long time ago and said these things long before this. That's a prayer. Right? There's millions of prayers like that. You can come from where you are and He won't reproach you In other words, just approach him. He won't shame you. Romans says this, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. God is not in the business of shaming people. That's our business. Humans are good at shaming. We're good at shaming ourselves. We're good at shaming each other. We even try to make God feel guilty if we could get away with it. But that's not God's business. God's heart is good. I want to emphasize that, underline that, exclamation point that, bold that, italicize that, capitalize that. Are you getting my point? God's heart is good. And He won't reproach anyone who reaches out and prays to Him. As Billy Graham used to say, remember with the Crusades? And he'd say, come down now, the buses will wait. Right? What was he saying? This is the most important thing you can do. 
Come to God when you know He's calling you. Forget the buses. Forget your schedule. Forget that stuff. That'll all be taken care of. The buses will wait. They'll still be there. Come now. Right? Come to Him. That's what He was saying. So if you or I or anyone else is going to approach God in prayer, the question then is, okay, so how does it need to be done? Well, you don't have to have the right words. You have to have a right heart. How do you express a right heart? It has to be done by faith. Look at this verse again, and we'll peel this all together now. I'm sorry, we'll pull it up, put it all together now. If any of you lacks wisdom, anybody in here? Hello? Hi, I qualify. Let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. You've got all those words down now. And it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. I'm going to talk about faith for a little bit. Next week we'll talk about doubt. Right? That's a entity unto itself. So we'll... We'll go there next week. I didn't want to try and pack too much, but uh, so much could be said about faith. We could do an entire series on faith and launch from there, but uh, just some practical application in a good way to focus and grow your faith. Uh, you know, one of the questions is, well, how do I get more faith? Well, one of the ways you get more faith is by reading about faith. Well, how do I read about faith? Well, you go to the Word. Well, where is it in the Word? Well, if you're a newer believer and you really haven't, known the Lord for that long, one of the great things you can do is to get a concordance. You're going, what's a concordance? Well, I brought one with me this morning. This is my NIV. This is a thick book, right? NIV, uh, New International Version. This one I have on in paper. Uh, my ESV version is electronic, so you can get it either book or electronic. Really uh, doesn't matter. Some of us are book people. Some of us are electronic people. They both work the same. But if you were to try and figure out how this would work, and let's say you wanted to look up, oh gosh, Pastor Steve talked about faith on Sunday. How, what, how would I find verses on faith? Well, you take this and you open it up. And, uh, and I lost my marker. Where'd my marker go? See, crisis is a faith even in the sermon. Here we go. EFG, alphabetical. Come on, Dean, help me. Where are we? There we go. Faith. Here we go. I found it. So you open up to faith and it'll tell you the word faith is used 270 times in the Bible. Did you know that? That's a lot on faith. It will go on if you turn the page. It will tell you that the word faithful is used 83 times. That faithfully, the word faithfully is used 18 times. Faithfulness is used 59 times. And here's a key one, faithless is used 13 times. So if you want to know what not to do, look up faithless, look up those 13 verses, they'll tell you what not to do. If you want to look up what to do, you can look at those other 270 verses. You're going, wow, that's really daunting. Here's the way you do it. What's some of the books you've read through that you're at least sort of familiar with uh, in the, in the New Testament, right? So let's take a book and we'll take, uh, let's take uh, Ephesians. Okay, in Ephesians here, we've got about eight verses that use the word faith. And if you read down here and you go down, uh, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus, by grace you have been saved through faith. Through faith in him, we may approach God. Gee, we just heard that idea. Hello. Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. In the faith and knowledge of the Son, take up the shield of faith. And love with faith from God and Father. And you go, oh, I recognize some of those verses. Well, wait, wait, wait. I actually know that verse. 
Oh, that's cool. Well, what's in Galatians? Well, what's in Philippians? And pretty soon you start catching all the things that the Bible's saying about faith, and it really helps you to grow and understand that word. So if some of you want to do that this week, that'd be fantastic. Here's why that's important. There is nothing more important in the world than believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Him. Nothing more important. Your marriage isn't more important. Your children aren't more important. Your home's not more important. Your car's not more important. Your job's not more important. Your finances aren't more important. Your retirement's not more important. Football's not more important. Your nails are not more important. Your hair's not more important. Right? Nothing is more important. Nothing is more important in the whole world than believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and putting your faith in Him. By the way, somebody would know that, wouldn't they? Who would that somebody be? James, the brother of Jesus? We'll look at doubt next week. But it's an essential core nutrient of the Christian life. We find it's one of the three essentials to the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, right? We read that at weddings all the time. At the end it says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. And I want to say, yes, love may be the greatest, but faith is the first. Can you have love without faith? No, when when you meet a guy or a gal, right? Think back when you're single. You had to have faith to believe that that could become love. And none of those paths were A to B. Right? Listen to your stories. We got there crooked, right? But we had faith and that faith took us to love. Same thing with God. We have faith that takes us to love. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever draw near to God must believe two things. It doesn't say two things in the text, but here's the two things. Okay? Two things. Number one, that He exists. And number two, that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. In other words, the promise in the Bible is that if we pursue Him, He will reward us. What's the reward? He gives us Himself. If you think about it, everything we do is based off of faith. Right? For example, this morning you came, you came in here, and you sat in that chair. And the reason you sat in that chair is you had faith to believe that that chair was designed to hold you. That when you put your weight on the chair, it wasn't going to buckle or fold or tip sideways or collapse on you or anything like that. You had faith that that would hold you. Right? So we think about what's church about? Encouraging our faith. Right? If you're asking, what does Northview have to offer you? We don't have anything to offer you except Jesus. That's it. That eternal life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all we got. Now, there's some attach on things like fellowship and you can have posse and, and you can pray together and right, we can walk life together and life on life and do that. But the reality is the only thing we really got is Jesus. That's all we have. And that He is the provider of eternal life. So God rewards those who seek Him. And so we come by faith. We come to get our faith what? Encouraged. And then we walk out through those doors by what? Faith. 
Believing God has something for us to do during the week and we need to be listening and praying to make sure we catch what it is our assignment is with Him. That's all by faith. That's how important faith is. Do you remember the introduction to James? In case you missed this, let's go back to the introduction. It says, if, uh, count, it, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for the know that you know that the testing of your faith. See, here's the problem. We think if we have faith, we won't have any trials, persecutions, or sufferings. And Scripture's telling us because of faith you will have those. And we want God to fix the problem when God wants, to see, wants us to see Him past the problem. James says, when you know that the testing of your faith produces what? The ability to hang in there. The ability to be steadfast. The ability to be faithful. The ability to be persevering. You can throw patience in there as well. Uh, I want to go back to David Bordner. Uh, as I mentioned, he's basically been housebound and bedridden since September. And trust me, he would desperately wish to be well. Okay? He is not enjoying this at all. But he has also been clued into the bigger picture by the Holy Spirit that God has allowed this so they can be intimate with each other. And David's been able to see the bigger picture, which I'm very impressed with because I think I'd whine. I don't know how you do. I think I'd whine. Okay? But he's been able to see the bigger picture of what God's doing and to see past the suffering to see the Lord Himself. That is wisdom. And He's being steadfast in faith despite the obstacles. Now, we're not David, right? We're not in Ljubljana, Slovenia. We're not missionaries across the salt water over to Europe. But let me ask this morning, how are you doing with the faith faith obstacles that have come your way. Not what's come David's way, what's come your way? What have been the challenges that have stressed and stretched you? I know this. For whatever 2018 is destined to bring, we are called to be steadfast in our faith. Did Would you have been able to predict what happened in 2017? Sorry, I always take the zero out and chop it. Okay, Would you have been able to predict that? Probably not, right? I know I couldn't have. That included the death of two aunts. We dearly, uh, one aunt and my mother-in-law we dearly loved. That, that wasn't on the table for part of it. Life can surprise us even when we're in the midst of the funnest stuff we do. Did you read the article uh, yesterday? On, I read it on MSN. I suppose it was on all the networks. Did you read the article about the missile threat to Hawaii? Okay. Most people in Hawaii are there. Why? Vacation. They are there to kick back, to chill out, let their hair down, to get away from the pressures. They are not there for a missile attack. Did you read the panic that ensued? People weeping and bawling, being shoved down into basements, have no idea what's going on because imminent, uh, the, the, the report was missile attack 
imminent. This is not a rehearsal. How would you have reacted? Did they have time to prepare for that? What would you have done? I would have started praying. Okay? Lord Jesus, I think I'm about to meet you. I hope I do it well. Okay? Is that what you expect on vacation? No. Life can throw some curveballs, right? So the question is, what will 2018 bring? Uh, Next week we're going to go, as I mentioned, we're going to go a little farther and look at the issue of doubt because it's such uh, a key component and a big part of many of our faith journeys. Um, But for today, I just want to point out we're always asked to approach the present and future with faith. We are to look at the past and learn from it. That's called wisdom. But we are to approach the present and the future with faith. That means when you walk out those two doors this morning, what's your week going to look like and are you going to step in faith with the Lord? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in God's faithfulness to us. Faith in trusting His leadership. That's a little deeper. And that God might grant us His wisdom to live by faith in Him. What's 2018 going to be? Good? Bad? Both? Well, whether it's good or it's bad or it's both, let it be our resolve that we will approach this year with wisdom and faith. And that God will give us wisdom Himself to know how to navigate the year we're going to go through. Let that be our result. Let's pray. Father, as we wrestle with this, I can tell from the feeling of the room that we're wrestling and thinking it through. That this year is important to us. We want the year to go well. And yet we also know things can happen. And we're going to have to trust you. That 2017 will not be 2018. And 2018 is going to be different than 2017. And yet, both had to be lived by faith. May you help us persevere. May you help us be steadfast. And may we seek you as our wisdom. And may you grant us a grace appropriate for what you called us to do. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together.